Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. If you, um, if you want to uh, follow along in your Bible, and we always encourage that, Luke chapter 8 is one of the first verses where we're going to start. We're going to be in a lot of different places this morning, but, but really Luke 8 forms the core of what we're studying, so you can open your Bibles there. We've been going through this series, Church with a Heart. This is now the fourth week in this series, and the final week in this series, we start a a new series next week that I'm actually very excited about. We'll be going through the book of Ephesians verse by verse, and the, the, the name of the series is just that, plain and simple, Ephesians. So I want to encourage you two to, to come back for that. It's going to be a great series that will lead us up into Christmas season. Let me see if you recognize any of these names. Eric Harris and Dylan Claybolt. Jared Lofner. James Holmes, Adam Lanza, Dylan Roof, Vester Flanagan, Chris Harper Mercer. Anybody recognize those names? We almost couldn't avoid the tragedy again, that we, that we heard this week. And I couldn't imagine myself standing up here teaching a message this week without talking about the events in Oregon. I think as I go through that list, and, and maybe some of you, maybe this has become such a, a cold, calculated thing, even to us who, who, who are, aren't participating in this whatsoever, that... As I go through those names, you're struggling to remember. I, re- I recognize that name, but what horrible act was he associated with? It's become way too common. And to hear about, you know, double digits of people being shot in an English classroom in a community college. And, and to sort of brush it off as, well, that there's another uh, mass murder. And, and to think to ourselves, that's so far away geographically, but also so far away from who I am and what I'm about. I, what am I supposed to do about it? If we as church are thinking like that, what a What a tragedy. I don't know how many of you get the South Mountain District News, the little local newspaper. What we need to know is that, that these big-time acts that we hear are not so far out there. I encourage you, if you haven't done this yet, go home, read the front page of the South Mountain District News, the key article that talks about crime statistics right here, that talks about 51st Avenue and Baseline, as being an epicenter for violent crime. It's right here in our community. And we can run. We can say to ourselves, man, you know what? I think this is too much. I'm going to move 
to the North Valley. I'm going to move to the West Valley. I'm going to move to the East Valley where it's much safer. We can run and hide. Or, as church, we can do what church is called to do. And that's make a difference in this world, in this community of Levine and South Phoenix, in our city, on a wider basis. You see, when when Jesus was standing before his disciples, right before he ascended to heaven, after his resurrection, do you remember what he told his disciples? He said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, right here where you are. In Judea and Samaria, think outside your immediate area and to the ends of the earth. Today, what I want to talk to you about is the cause and the mission and the vision that Jesus has for us as church. That that there is something called the redemptive potential of the church. Jesus came as our Savior He came as our Lord to take care of our sins as we just confessed our sins and then heard about that beautiful grace and forgiveness and mercy that that God has shown us by sending his son to be our savior. But when the savior himself departed and ascended into heaven, he said, now I give this work to you. I will be with you to the very ends of the age. I'll always be here with you. But the work that I've been doing, the ministry that I've been doing, I I now pass that baton on to you, and you have the potential, by declaring my name to the nations, by sharing the gospel good news message of my blood, you have the potential to change everything. And if you can hear those names that I read at the beginning... And not think to yourself, this this world needs the change that we have to offer. This world needs us as God's family, sons and daughters, brothers and sisters, to stop being so shy and retiring and, and, and beaten back and beaten down and stand up and make a difference in this world. From now on, when you see a story like this in the news, I hope after today's message, the very first question that you're going to ask yourself is, what can we as Crosswalk Church be doing about things like this in our own community, in our own city, and even more far-reaching in the world? What has God given us to do? What's his vision for us to make a difference in this world? And that's what today's message is really going to be about. You see that the title is A Heart for Growth. Too many times when we talk about growth, can I be honest with you? People resist this, but I like my church to be small. I don't want the church to get too big. What's Pastor Jeff's, what's Pastor Dan's vision? Are Are they studying CCV so that we can be a church like that? I hope not. 
And let me tell you that it's not at all about being CCV. It's about fulfilling the vision and the mission that Jesus has given us at whatever size God allows us to be. And if that size is our current size of 500, for the rest of the time that God leaves us here on the earth, I'm completely satisfied with that. But I think all of us should be dissatisfied if we're not thinking how we can grow gospel influence in this world that so seriously needs that gospel influence. Because we can debate about things like gun control and we need better psychology help. And if we only had those things, this problem would go away. Let me tell you, forget about it. Even President Obama said the other day in his interview, violence is not going away. And he, he even said this, because of original sin, violence is not going away. Even our president recognizes that. And do you know who has the one and only response to original sin? You, me, church. Because the church carries Jesus. And, and as far as we carry Jesus and the cross and grace and mercy and peace... We, we have the cure. We have the thing that will help and change this world and make it better. If you've heard anything, you've heard descriptions of these young men as lonely, feeling insignificant, angry young men, hurt, deeply hurt by events in their life, and isolated. You know what's so interesting? On Chris Harper Mercer's blog, this is what he says. The mass murderer himself, writing before he did all of this, says, I have noticed that so many people like him, he's talking about Vester Flanagan, the gentleman who shot the reporters while they were reporting live. I've noticed that so many people like him are all alone and unknown. Yet when they spill a little blood, the whole world knows who they are. Seems the more people you kill, the more you're in the limelight. Is there not another way than the more people you kill, the more you're in the limelight? And, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. There's a completely another way. A beautiful another way. An effective another way. And it revolves around the cross and the empty tomb that changes lives forever and for eternity. So let's dive in. Let's dive in. You're going to be a little surprised after hearing that introduction at what I'm about to read to you. Now, Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were, they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. He replied, my mother and brothers 
are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Whoa, did Jesus just say that? Do you get what he's saying there? He's saying, I'm not picking up my phone and answering a text just because it's my mom or my brother and my sister. He's saying, I'm not going out there and they're not coming in here right now. Because I have work that I am about. And guess what? This is not the first time Jesus has done this and it's not going to be the last. Remember when Jesus was just 12 years old? He wanders into the temple to be in his father's house and he doesn't mean Joseph. And he stays behind while Joseph and Mary go on, probably with the other brothers and sisters that were born to Joseph and Mary afterwards. They're they're headed back to Nazareth and Jesus stays in the temple until they catch on that Jesus is not with the extended family somewhere and return frantic, searching for Jesus. And when they find him, do you know what his question is? Why are you so upset with me? Didn't you know? Didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? After this, after this passage that we just read, Jesus doing some healing and some various things, doing the miracles that he did, preaching the gospel, telling the the people he's the Messiah. A woman shouts out of the crowd, blessed is the womb that gave birth to you, Jesus. Blessed is that womb. Blessed is your mother. You know what Jesus' answer to her is? More blessed is the one who hears the word of God and puts it into practice. Now, let me be clear before some of you walk out going, Pastor Jeff is teaching us that our our physical family is worthless. It's not, we shouldn't pay any attention to that. That is not biblical. In fact, if you read through some of what we call the pastoral epistles, Paul writing to, to, to um, pastors like Timothy and Titus, he, he says with them, if you don't take care of your own physical family, you're worse than an unbeliever. God is the creator of our physical family and he loves physical family. He, more than any of us, knows the value of physical family. He wants you to love your physical family. He wants you to prioritize your family. Family is a good thing. But what Jesus does here has to be seen in context. And the context is this. Jesus is teaching people, if you were to go back to the top of Luke chapter 8, he's he's teaching the people about the power of the word of God. And he's, he's really answering this, this question of why is it that not everybody, once they're in the family, stays in the family? And he tells a parable. And, and, and the parable is the parable of the sower and the seed. Have you ever heard that parable? The parable of the sower and the seed? I'm not going to go into it this morning. 
But the basic message is that three out of four of the, the places where the seed of the word of God gets sowed doesn't produce a pleasing result. Only one of the four has good soil and the seed springs up and grows and produces fruit. What Jesus is saying is that the word of God is very powerful, but God does not control us so that, so that we have to believe what the word says. And he, and he points out that people reject the word for all sorts of reasons. And even though the word of God, the Bible, is paramount, sometimes... Satan will carry it away, faith away out of our hearts. Sometimes the worries of the world, sometimes our own sinful flesh will push it away and reject it. He goes on from there, and we're going to read this passage a little bit later, and says, the word of God is like a light. It needs to be placed on a pedestal so that everyone can, can see this light and come to it. And it's, and it's in the midst of these teachings that Luke includes this, this story about Jesus and his, and his mother and his brothers. Some say maybe it's helpful to understand the, the context that, that Jesus' mother, well, especially his brothers, especially his brothers, were finding it hard to believe that Jesus was the long-promised Messiah. Maybe they wanted to come and pick him up and, and take him home and say, they're there, brother. Uh, don't get so excited about who you think you are. And that this is part of the reason why Jesus doesn't go out to see them. I, I don't know because Luke doesn't tell us exactly why he says this. But here's what I believe given the context. I believe that Jesus is saying, as important as your physical family is, where God's word is preached and taught, that creates a spiritual family. And that spiritual family is very, very, very vital and important to us. Do you see what he says? My mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. I, I quoted this next verse in your crosswalk notes. If you don't have your crosswalk notes out, pull them out because you'll be able to follow along a little bit more easily. But I quoted this other verse earlier in the confession of sins. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. We are family. Jesus says that when we hear God's word and begin to put it into practice in our lives because we believe it and we trust it and we think that it's true, we become his brothers and sisters. Paul writes and he reinforces that. The, the gap that sin caused has been closed. We're fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. And this is, by the way, all over the Bible, one of my favorite verses on this subject. And, and especially, I want you to think about uh, what Chris Harper Mercer said about being lonely and insignificant, right? Psalm 68 says this, a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, God in his, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. 
The very first reason why we, I believe we, the church, are the response to the world that we see today is that God wants to set lonely people in families. God doesn't want to see even unbelieving people, much less those who are in his family already, be lonely and isolated, hurt and angry with no one to talk to. And I'll tell you, I believe that a lot of what goes on could be prevented by nothing other than these young men and others like them, young men right here who are angry and hurt, young women right here who are angry and hurt. I believe it all could be prevented, or at least the vast majority of it, if someone just had someone that they thought, that's my brother, I can talk to them. That's my sister. I know that I can go to her and she will do her level best to understand me. She will listen and empathize and affirm the direction that that I'm on. If it's the right direction, she'll redirect me if I'm on the wrong path. But let me tell you, way too many people in today's world don't have that brother or sister. And that's why God gives us church. Because God wants everyone to have a brother and sister, someone to talk to. If you think we hate it when we hear about another young man who went into his bedroom, locked his door, and spent all day staring at his computer screen and then went out and shot people, God hates it way more. His heart hurts way more about stuff like that. And God says, that's our work now, to be brothers and sisters to those who are hurting and angry and upset and who need someone to listen to them, empathize with them, affirm them, direct them. And that's why we've been talking about in this series what to expect. Let's let's write it down. In the church, and we talked about this several weeks ago, we go from becoming guests to friends, and finally, as we learn today, to family. Galatians 3 says, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all, all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one, one in Christ Jesus. You see what it says there? You're all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. What's the thing that is thicker than blood? The thing that is thicker than blood is faith. Faith unites us as brothers and sisters in Christ. And do you see what it says here? Nothing that we would normally consider exclusionary or I, I, don't, I don't know that I can be with them or hang out with them or consider him my brother or her my sister. God says all of those things have been taken out of the way by the blood of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile. In other words, your ethnicity, your race, your color. They don't matter to Jesus. 
and they don't matter in the church. And if somehow they do matter to someone in the church, that's plain and simple, purely sin. That's all that is. It's us imagining things that divide that Jesus has already said, that doesn't divide us. And that's the truth. Neither slave nor free. It doesn't matter where you work. doesn't matter what your socioeconomic status is. doesn't matter where, where you live. I don't know if you guys know this, but you don't have to live in North Scottsdale to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And isn't that awesome? It doesn't matter. There's neither male nor female. Gender doesn't matter to, to God. He brings us all together, men and women. And, and do men and women see things from different points of view? Do I have to answer that? But... But God says he loves both points of view. And he calls us together to exchange our points of view, to love one another and respect one another. And that goes beyond gender, God says. It's amazing. You are all one in Christ Jesus. In other words, your identity has changed. And he points to the very time when that identity change happens. You see it in there? For you are all baptized, he says, into Christ. And at that moment, you clothed yourselves with Christ. That's when the identity change occurs. When you, when you believe in Jesus and then that first step of faith is baptism, you now have a new name on you. Dearly loved child of God. And in your new identity, now what happens is your activity changes. And I want you to, I want you to really think about that state, statement. In your new identity, your activity changes. You know why it's so important for you to understand that? Because the whole rest of the world, and even you by yourself naturally, think this way. My identity comes from my activity. We think that what we do, if we do it and do it and do it, that eventually becomes who we are. That, if you're a plumber and, and you keep going and you're, you're a plumber, you're a plumber, that you, you, your identity becomes wrapped up in the activity that you're doing. One of the struggles that I had when I returned from Africa was I over-identified myself as a missionary, and, and when I came back and lived here, I didn't know who I was anymore. I'm not, a, I mean, can I still call myself a missionary living back here in the home city where I grew up? I had over-identified myself with my activity. And I want you to see how wrong that is. What, what God always tells us is grab your identity first and let your activity flow from that. I actually needed a counselor to tell me, you are not a missionary. That's not your identity. That was a role that you played for a while. But that's not who you are. The Bible tells you who you are. You're a dearly loved child of God. That's your identity. Bought with the blood of Jesus, given to you in baptism. That's who you are. And now... 
your activity will flow from that identity. It's completely the reverse of what the world and its culture teaches us. Completely, 180 degrees, the opposite. And that's what makes Christianity so amazing. Because our life now is simply becoming who we already are in Christ. Look at what it says, Galatians 4, 7 and 9. So you're no longer a slave. Your identity's changed. But God's child, and since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. You have heaven waiting for you. Formerly, when you did not know God, when you had a different identity, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. When your identity was different, your activity was different. But now that you know God, now that your identity is dearly loved child of God, bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, or rather are known by God, because God's the one who does it all, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable forces? Paul says it doesn't make sense. If your identity is child of God, how can you return to the activities of, of a person who was not a child of God? Because your identity determines your activity. Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over and over again? And there's one other truth that you need to know. The identity change is immediate. The moment the Holy Spirit draws you to believe that Jesus is your Lord and your Savior, in that moment, your identity change is complete. You become a child of God. But the activity change that flows from that new identity is a lifelong process. You know this, don't you? Isn't that what Paul's saying? Guys, keep on the right road, keep in the process here. Theologians call this justification, meaning your identity changes and you are uh, innocent in God's sight by the blood of Jesus. And then they call that second part, that activity part, sanctification, which is a lifelong process of the Holy Spirit working on our hearts. Here's what I want you to write. Faith is what makes us family. The identity change is immediate. The activity change is lifelong. Let's go back to our world. Does our world need an identity change? If there are young men out there who are saying to themselves, I am worthless, I don't matter, no one cares about me. If there are young women out there saying, there's no one who loves me. I, 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 don't, I can't find anyone that I truly, deeply matter to. What, what this is saying is that everyone matters to God. And he wants that love communicated to them. That's the mission of the church, to love people in so that they can hear the gospel and so that they can know Jesus as their savior and have that solid relationship and never again be lonely and isolated. I, I truly believe, brothers and sisters, I truly, from the heart, believe that much of our world's issues today all go back to the simple problem of loneliness and isolation. And we as a church have family 
to offer to people who are disconnected. We have connections to offer them. Look at what happened in the early church, and I I love this description. It it shows that the activity change doesn't doesn't have to wait to the last day of our lives. Once the day of Pentecost happened, it happened almost immediately. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. Isn't that beautiful? You've heard me say before, Acts 2, 42 to 47 is the the vision that we have for this church to be a church for unchurched people. I urge you, go back and and reread those verses, Acts 2, 42 to 47, because it's an expansion of this verse of of how God's people came together as one and acted as family. Honestly, I think you can probably tell this. I get so excited about this. Like, I, this is what happened to me that caused me to be a Christian. A Christian family saw my divorced family, saw me becoming isolated, and all they did was they noticed and they said, hey, you want to play basketball on the driveway with us? One step. Hey, do you want to play basketball on the driveway with us? And that led to me standing here today saying, we're family, we're brothers and sisters. We have so much to offer this fallen, hurting world. Anyway, I better keep going. (laughs) So this is about growth. And if this is going to happen, if we are going to influence the world, it's interesting what Jesus says. First of all, you have to come together and you have to keep growing yourselves. It's, it's great to focus on the world outside of yourself and you will. You'll be driven by the gospel to do that. But start here with your own unity. And if, if in any sense the unity amongst God's family is broken, fix that. Look at what Jesus says. This is, this is in the upper room. He's about to go out to the Garden of Gethsemane and be arrested. He's just told his disciples, I'm leaving. You're going to carry forward the vision and the mission. But look at what he says. Let's pray, he says, and this is what I want to pray for. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. I'm sending them on a mission. There's going to be people who will believe in me because of what this church, what these Christians are doing. Then he says, I pray that all of them may be what? Do you see it there? I pray that all of them may be one. Father, will you circle that word? Just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. And here's the mission again, here's the vision, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That's what God wants to accomplish because that's what transforms the world. I've given them the glory that you gave me that they may be, there it is again, what? One. As we are one, as perfectly one as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one, as the Trinity is one. I in them and you in me, that they may be brought to Do you see it there? Complete unity. He's talking to us. He's saying, "I, I want you, brothers and sisters, to work at this 
under my grace with my power until there is complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So the first way God wants us to grow is to grow together. Write that down. Jesus' heart is for his family to grow together. There's a beautiful passage in 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2. I want to read it for you. It's not in your notes. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your... Anyone want to guess what word's coming next? Don't rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with complete purity. That's how we reflect the unity that Jesus has planted among us by his blood shed on the cross for us. Next way of growing. No one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. I referenced this verse earlier. This is what Jesus says right before his mother and brothers come to visit him. This is what he's talking about. There's a lamp. You don't hide the lamp. You put it on a stand so that everyone can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken from them. And what Jesus is saying here is, here's a lamp. In your life, don't hide it. Don't put it in a drawer, like at a hotel. You probably stayed at hotels where people open the, the Gideon Bible, right? And they have a specific verse marked. Have you ever stayed there? Don't put it in a closet. Don't have it be a family heirloom that's displayed prominently on a shelf. Take this and use it every day. Bible itself says the word of God is useful. Have a time every day. I don't care if it's one verse or two verses. Read this. I promise you if you start out at one or two verses a day, the Holy Spirit will draw you in and you won't be stopping there for long. But start somewhere. Take the lamp and put it prominently on display in your heart, in your mind. Take it in, listen to it, because this is the key to faith. And how do we become children of God, brothers and sisters in, in Christ? By faith. This is how we feed and enlighten our faith. And, and this is what Jesus wants for you. He's saying, I want you to keep growing not only together, but I want you to keep growing up. We're going to start this, um, this series next week on the book of Ephesians. And one of the chief things that it says in, in Ephesians chapter 4 is, I want you to mature in your faith. Paul writes to, to these young pastors and he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
So here's what I want you to write next. Jesus' heart is not only for his family to grow together, but for his family to grow up. That's why we have these weekly worship services. That's why I go on and on and on in my preaching. Because God's word will help you grow up well to a certain point and then you tune me out. I get it. That's why we have growth groups. It's why we have a class system, 101, 201, 301, 401, 501. Because Jesus wants us to grow up. And the way we grow up is by putting the lamp on its stand and letting its light shine into our hearts. Last one. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So they set out and, and went from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Now I want you to look at that reference. Do you see, where is that from? Luke 9. What chapter were we in when Jesus told his, his mother and brothers, I, I can't see you now, I'm teaching God's word to these people who are my, my mother and brothers and sisters in the word? That was Luke 8. At the very beginning of the next chapter, Luke says, then what did Jesus do after he taught them about the importance of the word of God and about believing and being family? He said, your family now go out. You as family have redemptive potential. And I hope you're excited about this, he told his disciples. Because what I've given you, I want you to give others. I want you to be the person who says to the young kid down the block, come on and play basketball on the driveway with us. I want you to be the person that opens your doors and helps people go from being a guest to a friend to a family member. I want you to be warm and welcoming out on the patio when people come to church and and yes, I know you're talking to your friends, but just keep a side eye out for someone you don't know. I want you to see these guys. I want you to see the Chris Harper Mercers, the Vester Flanagans, the Dylan Roofs, the Adam Lanza, the James Holmes, the Jared Lofners, the Eric Harris, and the Dylan Claybold. And there's something wrong with the fact that I have to turn the page over and read those names because there are too many of them for my little brain to memorize. If we, the church, are to serve and fulfill our full redemptive potential, which is to carry the gospel and share it with others, to do what Jesus sent his disciples out to do, drive out demons, cure diseases, proclaim the kingdom of God and heal the sick, then we have to keep in mind that we as church are a cause. A cause that is intended by Jesus himself to transform this evil world by the gospel, by promoting connection to Jesus Christ. Will you write this down? Jesus' heart is for his family to grow up. Here's your verse to remember. He replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. And here's what I want you to go home remembering. I'm a dearly loved child of God, and that's what you are. All those who believe in Jesus are my brothers and sisters. We're family here. 
I will let my identity determine my activity in this family, and that activity will be going out and serving our full redemptive possibility in this world and changing it. Let's pray. Your Father in heaven, Father, you've given this church a passion for the unchurched who need to hear the gospel, who need to hear about Jesus. This is the one thing that can transform even original sin and, and, and take it out of the picture and, and, and change hearts and minds who can restore the lonely to families because, God, that's, that's the kind of father that you are. You set the lonely in families. Father, I pray that this church will be the family that you've envisioned it to be, that we will be, as Jesus said, one as you are one, and that that will be an attractive force so that you will add to our number daily those who are being saved. Father, I thank you that you've given me brothers and sisters in Christ who care about me and pray about me and and pray for me and and, and just watch over and love me. I, I hope that everyone in this church senses that they have that. And if not, help us to connect to them. Lord, we lift up these prayers to you. In the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, amen. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. I want you to go out with this message ringing in your ears. We're not becoming family. We are family. The moment you came to faith in Jesus, you became a brother and sister in Christ of of someone in this room. And, And I hope that you just enjoy that. Enjoy that you have brothers and sisters in Christ. Absorb the grace that that is. But also remember this, that we're a family with a vision and a mission and a purpose. And that we want to constantly be looking for hurting and lonely people and bring them into the family with us. Let me send you home with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen.